Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I hope you hear the invitation of God as you listen today. In today's message, we begin to explore a set of values that we have identified as central to what it means for us to follow Jesus here at GBC. Today, we explore what it means to be on purpose. But just before that, let me remind you to tune in to our new podcast, The Big Three a midweek interaction with this message focused on three big questions raised by our evening congregation. It comes out on Wednesdays, and this is week three of the big three, and we've been really encouraged by the engagement today. So be sure to listen in. But now to this week's message. Tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, good evening. Uh, As you see, we're continuing our series wrapped around our values uh, tonight. So if you are visiting, that's what we started last week, Uh, gave us a bit of an introduction to the values that as a leadership, we've spent the better part of five years discerning both in our conversations with one another and uh, through prayer and are really excited about the potential that these uh, have for us as a community of faith. Uh, but before we get into that, just a reminder that uh, we, are, we have launched the Big Three podcast. Anyone listen to it this week? Oh, quite a few. Fantastic. Well done. Uh, and uh, the Big Three podcast is a podcast that reflects on the uh, sermon tonight uh, with questions that you ask. Uh, so if you would like to get involved, uh, you can snap the QR code there. It'll also be on the next screens or go to slido.com uh, and put in the code there. That'll take you right to a page where you can anonymously upload any questions that you have during the uh, sermon itself. Uh, you can also see the questions that other people are asking, and you can like them and upvote them. And then uh, Matt Willis and Mark Coleman and I will be sitting down uh, early this week uh, to discuss three big questions that come out of it. So it's an opportunity for us. Uh, the podcast comes out on Wednesday. It's an opportunity for us to reflect again in the middle of the week uh, on the sermon and engage a little bit more deeply uh, with uh, what we're doing here. And just, so, just in case you're curious, we did have a question on Slado, I think this week. Uh, someone from our morning congregation, I'm guessing, asked, why can't we ask questions? Uh, and uh, I, I don't know what Sam actually wrote. I said, well, we should just tell them that they're not in the evening congregation, so they can't. Uh, so this is something that's driven uh, by this congregation, so we'd love for you to be involved. Uh, if you want to keep that open, we'll give you some time at the end of the sermon as well to uh, reflect on any questions that you might want to ask at the end of that, if that works well for you as well. 
So as I said, last week we introduced uh, these five values. And values are really quite important because they drive our behaviors, right? So if you tell me that you value uh, close friendships, then I should be able to see that value reflected in the things that you do. I should be able to look through your calendar and and notice that you're always out with people. Uh, I should be able to look through um, your Facebook kind of feed and see the people that you interact with and why, the ways you follow them up, and all of those sorts of things. It would be strange, in fact, if you told me you valued social relationships and never went out uh, and never talked to anybody and never contacted anybody. There'd be a pretty big gap. So what we value drives our behaviors. And when you get a group of people who have a shared set of values and therefore a shared set of behaviors, what you end up creating is a group identity. There's a community that's formed because the people who are a part of that group, whether it be a soccer club or an organization that has a particularly strong uh, set of values, you end up kind of looking and sounding the same. You, you talk about the same sorts of things. You do the same sorts of things. And as a community of faith, that's actually quite significant for us to have a shared group identity about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus here at GBC. And in reality, these five values and the behaviors that they reflect are essentially um, an outworking of what we believe our purpose is here as a church and as a community of faith, and that's to listen to and respond to the invitation of God to join in His work in restoring the world in Christ Jesus through the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's kind of the full version, but that's essentially what we believe following Jesus means for us here, to listen to and respond to the invitation of God, wherever that might be, to take him up on that opportunity to join in with what he's doing in the world. And all of these values and their behaviors have stemmed from them. And so when we talk about the crux of community, we're talking about not only the kind of the core identity of our community at the, at the crux of who we are, but also a reflection of the one that we follow, of Jesus the one who was crucified and rose again. And these values that we have identified are that we want to be on purpose, big-hearted, whole life learning, uh, others-focused, and trustworthy people. Those are the five values that we have identified over the last number of years. And so we want to really explore those in a little bit more detail, beginning tonight with on purpose. Uh, And on purpose, in terms of a definition, what we mean by that is that when we are on purpose, then we will create and maintain margin in our lives to participate with what God is doing. And it's all really about availability. It's about an availability. If you say that you are willing to help me, you say, yeah, just call on me anytime you need me. But every time I call on you, you're not available. Are you really willing to help me? Right? You say, oh yeah, anytime. You just let me know. You tell me the time and the place and I'll be there. And I keep saying to you, what about this Friday? Oh, like I can't. I'm really busy. Okay, what about the following Tuesday? Oh, I'd love to, but I just, I can't. You see the distinction, right? If we say that we are willing to participate with what God is doing, then we need to make sure that we are available to participate with what God's doing. And so we need to create some space and some margin in our lives. And, and, and broadly speaking, I think the, the bigger category of what being on purpose is about is actually about counting the cost of following Jesus. When we begin to follow Jesus, there are some costs associated with that. And that's a very Christian thing to say, but in nearly every decision we make, there are some costs 
Some of them are hidden costs, right? So when um, I decided to ask my wife, Nicole, to marry me, and she decided to say yes, uh, that uh, it kind of set us on a, on, on a certain path in our life. It shut a whole bunch of doors and opened a whole bunch of other ones. One of the doors that it opened was for us to come to Australia, uh, which we did at the end of 1996, and that led to me being here and teaching at Morley and all sorts of stuff. Now, here's the hidden cost. If we had stayed in Canada, how different would our lives have been? I would have had different experiences. Would they have been better experiences? Would I have had bigger opportunities? I don't know. I, I can't really tell. They just would have been different. There's a hidden cost to the decisions. You follow me on this? Whenever we make those kinds of life-changing decisions, we close some doors and open some others. But we're not certain what would have happened if we'd gone through the other. So when we begin to follow Jesus, well, we close the door on certain decisions and certain lifestyle choices and whatever it might be, and we open doors in terms of communities of faith and opportunities to service and different ways to view the world, and we don't really know what would happen if we didn't. But then there are also some costs that are a little bit more visible, costs that we actually recognize have made a difference in our lives. So when Nicole and I moved to Australia, uh, the benefit for us was that we were close to her family, but geographically distant from my own. Now, when we were in Canada, we were an eight-hour drive from my family anyway, so it wasn't like we were super close. But it has had implications for our family today. So my three girls are much closer to their uh, cousins on their mom's side than they are to their cousins on their dad's side just because of geographical distance. So there's a cost to our family about the decision that we made. And when we make the decision to follow after Jesus, there are also some of those costs, aren't there? Things that we know that we, shall we say, miss out on. So those things that we will not engage in or with or whatever the case might be. And when we start talking about margin and about following Jesus, we do need to recognize that there is a cost. It's, not, it's free to start, right? It's free to start. You don't have to pay a joining fee, which is nice. But there's a cost to continuing to follow Jesus. And we have an example of that in Matthew chapter 8, the passage that Brett read for us just a few minutes ago. It's one of a number of places in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the cost, right? And it's a, fairly, um, it's a fairly confronting passage, isn't it? Because what we have here is uh, Jesus, well into his ministry, has two different people come and basically say, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Like, I'll, I'll, I'm going to just, I'm, I'm with you. And to both of them, Jesus gives kind of a hard reply, so the first person is a teacher of the law, and the second person is a disciple. And I think that's really important to note. We're not talking about randoms here who have encountered Jesus for the first time and have been overwhelmed by him and said, oh, I'm just going to follow you and haven't thought it through. The teacher of the law was someone who reflected on the scriptures, who perhaps had been uh, convinced of Jesus's authority as a teacher, who maybe had been inspired by his vision of the coming kingdom of heaven, who had perhaps seen the miracles. And this other individual, this disciple, is someone also who has already begun to adopt Jesus's teaching in his own life or her own life, and they come to Jesus. And the teacher of the law comes and says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response, essentially, it's not going to be as comfortable as you think it is. 
Foxes have dens, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You happy being homeless? Because that's kind of what following means like. This is not going to be some sort of tour through Judea in five-star hotels. Not the way it's going to be. It's going to be really uncomfortable. Now, here's the interesting thing. You think about a teacher of the law, that would have been someone who had education, which meant that they probably had money. And because they had education and money, they were both influential and were probably used to a fairly, for first century, comfortable life. And notice what happens after Jesus says that. I'll follow you wherever you go. It's going to be harder than you think. Crickets. It suggests something, doesn't it? It suggests, I mean, there's no editorial comment where Matthew goes, and the guy said, oh, yes, I've always wanted to be homeless and follow the Messiah. It's just silent, which suggests what? That this was too hard. It's followed immediately by another disciple who says essentially the same thing. Let me follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And we think, well, fair enough. The death in the family, surely you can have the afternoon off and attend the funeral. And Jesus' response is a little bit harsh, wouldn't you say? Now, there's probably more going on here than just a funeral some afternoon. There's probably a whole bunch of cultural expectations about uh, the grieving process and family obligations and social and cultural expectations. But Jesus' response still strikes us as harsh, doesn't it? Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, your family obligations, your cultural expectations need to come second to following me. This is the cost of following after Jesus. Because when we say yes to Jesus, it's not just to receive forgiveness and a ticket to heaven uh, and then kind of, you know, a nice life until we get there. When we say yes to following Jesus, we're not saying yes just to forgiveness. We're actually saying yes to the whole mission. We're saying yes to the whole thing that Jesus came to do. And he came to forgive sins so that you and I might be reconnected with the source of life. And when dead people, those who are spiritually, morally dead, are reconnected to the source of life, everything changes because life begins to leak into every corner and nook and cranny of our lives and eventually overflow into the lives of those around us and our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, our organizations, our society, our world, and the world is changed in Jesus' name. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to being a part of that. And there's going to be a cost. Because we need to reorganize and reorder our lives so that we are available for when we are needed. Now, when we create margin in our lives, when we create space in our lives, you know, we need to be ready for whatever it is that God invites us to. And, 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 and sometimes, and I'd like to, I, think, I think this is fair to say, very rarely does God send us someplace radically different. Every so often, people are called to a different culture or a completely different context, another part of the world, into something completely new and completely new relationships and completely new everything. But most of the time, where God sends us is where we are already living, in our families, 
and in our schools and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, that God has created us in particular ways and has us in particular locations. And the invitation for us is to participate with him, not in the supernatural, not in the extraordinary, not on just the hill, the, the mountaintops and the valleys, but to experience him in the ordinary, in the everyday and here's the problem with the everyday. So there's good news. God's probably not going to call you someplace far away. Here's the bad news. It's going to be really boring. Because what happens when we're called to and participate with God in the ordinary everyday is that the ordinary everyday becomes second nature to us and we no longer notice what we are doing. So I'm teaching, well, Amelia is learning to drive. And uh, I'm teaching her to, to drive a, a stick. I don't think she'll mind me sharing this. <laughs> I guess we'll find out, right? <laughs> guess we'll find out. So she's learning our manual. She's had a couple of lessons, and we went out the other day. So she's had a couple of lessons uh, on the manual. And so we went out, and she's like, can you just make sure you tell me what I need to do? Because I'm still learning. I'm like, sure, fine, no problem. But because I've been driving a manual for so long... It is so normal and so second nature to me, I kept forgetting important things, right? So I was like, I'll just kind of pull up here and stop. <laughs> Put the clutch in and then stop the car. And the problem wasn't her, it wasn't her driving, she did very, very well. The problem was that I had forgotten all the things that had become second nature to me. And when God is at work in our normal, everyday life, we can cruise without ever noticing the detail. We just get up and do the same thing we do every day. We get up and we make lunch and we go to work and then we come home from work and we go to dance and then we go to soccer practice and then we kind of come around to youth group and then we swing around to our life group and then we repeat the next day and soon it's Christmas and we're like, where'd the year go? And we've completely missed the invitation of God because we are on autopilot, just cruising through our ordinary life kind of hoping, kind of expecting God to do something exceptional so we'll notice. And that's not how he works. He works in the ordinary, the everyday. And so we need to create some margin in our lives in order that we um, are able to notice his invitation and to respond. And I'd like to suggest that there are at least kind of two, um, two aspects of this margin, this space that we want to create and maintain. One is in relationship to God as we listen, and one is in relationship to the invitation. And I think there's at least, I'm going to give you three um, aspects of our invitation. But let me begin by talking just really briefly about the simple fact that we need to create some margin in our lives to listen for God's invitation. We need to be spending time regularly in the Word. We need to be spending time at prayer. We need to be actually asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us and open our eyes and open our ears and soften our hearts to actually be aware of the invitation of God. We need those rhythms and routines in our lives, and this is not easy. I mean, just because you work in a church does not mean you are immune from a busy week. And when things get busy, what are the first things that drop off your calendar? They're things that are probably important, but they're not urgent, right? It's a whole bunch of important stuff that's, no, that's not urgent that will fall off your calendar. Where does our relationship with God sit? And too often, confession is good for the soul, too often my relationship with God is important, but hearing His invitation is not 
urgent. God will be here tomorrow. He'll be here next week. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So like I can just kind of skip today and we'll figure it out again tomorrow. But what happens? You skip one day and then two and then three and then it's been a week and then it's been a month and then it's been forever since you've taken time to stop and take some time in the Word to recognize God's voice, to pray, to actually listen. And so we need to be quite deliberate about making that time and then maintaining it, protecting that time, making sure that we find some space in order to attend to what we believe is both important and an invitation that is ultimately urgent because God is always at work. So find some times that work for you. Find some methods that work for you. Find a Bible app that you find really interesting and engaging. Find a reading plan that mixes it up. Do whatever it takes for you to find some margin in your life to be listening to God. Whatever works for you. I'm not sure that there are any kind of real rules apart from finding a time during during the day or during the week and setting that aside and finding a good method that you can follow. Uh, But find something to create some of that time and space. And once we're listening to God, then we also need to create some margin in our lives, right? We need to create some margin in in the activities of God. And I'd like to suggest three areas where I think it would be helpful for us to take a bit of an audit, uh, to kind of pay attention to the amount of margin that we have. The first is relational space and margin. Uh, a number of years ago, I think, I think Mark Coleman may have preached this, or maybe we just talked about it in my office. No one's recognized it all day, so I'm guessing it was just a conversation in my office. But we were talking about relationships and how different people have different capacity for relationships. And uh, the example, the analogy was Lego bricks, right? So, you know, like a little two by six piece of Lego, it has 12 connection points, right? And so some people are like a two by six piece of Lego. They got 12 spaces for significant relationships. And some people are a two by two or a one by one Lego brick. They have very, very few relational spaces. And others are like those big base plates that you can buy. There are like a million of them, right? And the point is not whether you are a little or a big Lego brick. The point is, are there any empty slots for relationships? Do you have any space in your life for a new relationship? If God came to you and said, I want to bring someone into your life in whose life I am doing something amazing and I would like to invite you to participate with that, would you have the relational space to say yes? I mentioned this in the morning. I think it's particularly true in our morning congregations, but I reckon it's probably true in our evening congregations as well. One of the difficulties of an established church is that people can end up having really long relationships. And at first you think, well, what's wrong with that? Here's, what's, here's, here's the potential downside. Is that if I've known people here for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, all of my relational spots are filled. And so when someone new comes into the church or someone new comes into my life, I'm really friendly, I'm really welcoming, but you can't sit with me and my friends because I have no space for anyone new. All I can do is be 
friendly and try to remember your name for next week. But that's about as far as this is going to go. Sound vaguely familiar? Do we have any relational capacity if God said, I'm going to bring someone into your life tonight? I'm doing something amazing, but I'm going to need you to invest a little bit into them. Would you have any space? I think that's worth thinking about. That doesn't mean we drop all of our friends and suddenly kind of, you know, I'm not sitting with you next week and, you know, kind of we all scatter around the church. That's not what I'm getting at. But do you have any space in your life for a new relationship, for someone that God is doing something new in their life? I think we need to. I think a second area that I think it's worth doing an audit is in our finances. I know that uh, living in Sydney is expensive. Uh, I know that the cost of living keeps going up and wages don't go up and all of those sorts of things. I get all that. And, and this is not actually about giving per se. I know that many of you give to the mission of the church here and are willing to give uh, at May Mission Month or when we focus on Hopefield in September. I think that's wonderful. I know that many of you probably give to other charities as well. That's great. But do you have anything in reserve? Let me kind of give you the scenario. If God showed up on Tuesday morning, wherever you work, and said to you, listen, I've got this great thing that's happening. It's wonderful, but I need some cash. How much money can you give me right now? Now, forget for the moment that's God. It'd be hard to say, can you come back tomorrow, right? But just, would you be able to say, yeah, I've, I've actually got some. Just give me a little time. I can transfer it. I've got 50 bucks that I can, I can give you to that project. I've got a couple hundred dollars that I can give to that. I think I can scrape together a couple thousand dollars. I don't even know, need to know what it's for. I just have margin in my life. And if someone is in need or a circumstance or situation arises, do you have any capacity to say yes? Or are you so strapped, so up to your eyeballs in kind of everything else you're spending money on that you don't have any financial margin for where God might invite you to participate? Because that's one of the places, even though it's expensive in Sydney, we are still really, really well off. Do you have some financial margin? And finally, I think we need to consider and do an audit of our time. Because we are tremendously busy people. And it's obvious because we're very, very important, right? <laughs> Someone got it? That's good. Right? And we're, we're so busy. And it might be because we suffer from FOMO, and it might be just because the, our lives are just so hectic right now. Maybe it's because it's so expensive, and, you know, if you're married, you're, both parties are working, and, and if you're single, you, you and your roommate are working, and you're saving as much as you can to try to buy some really lousy, small, one-bedroom house somewhere where you might be able to kind of, you know, all those sorts of things. I get all that. But we can be so busy. We can be so busy that we have no time to participate with what God may or may not be doing in our lives. And what we often end up doing, you know, the, in Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And we say, yes, there is. And that time is now. We're going to do everything, every activity under heaven right now. And we seek balance instead of wisdom. And balance says, as long as you can keep all the plates spinning, you're fine. It doesn't matter how crazy you go trying to keep the plates spinning. As long as they're all spinning, as long as everything in your life gets a slice of your time pie, you're fine. And we're not fine. Wisdom is much better than balance. Balance says, if you can fit it in, it's okay. 
Wisdom says, why don't we find the best things and do those? Wisdom is all about timing, doing the right thing at the right time. And our society has absolutely no wisdom. And I wonder sometimes if we have much more. God invites us to think about our time, to consider the time that we have been given, how we use it, and to find out if there's any margin in our lives to offer it to God. And I, you know, when I'm talking about relationships and money and, uh, and, and time, I'm not talking about enormous amounts of them. But imagine if you did a bit of an audit of your life and you thought to yourself, you know what, okay, I, I, I look at my life and if I you know, cut down on my social media usage and if I you know, was maybe a little bit more careful with some of my time in a few places, I actually reckon I could give God like 15 minutes a day. I, I, could, I, could, I could offer him 15 minutes. And, you know, if I think about my relationships, you know, there's a few people that I connect with and I spend a lot of time with, but, like, I'm never going to see them. They, they, they live really far away. They've got their own networks. You know, I could probably, I probably have a little bit of relational space. And, you know, if I, if I didn't buy a coffee every single morning, I might have, you know, 15 or 25 bucks that I could offer to God. And we, we come to God and we say, okay, Lord, here it is. I've got 15 minutes a day. I've got 25 bucks a week. And I got a little bit of space for a relationship. Is that going to make a difference? Yes. It's 100 people here right now, give or take. 100 times 15. That's a lot of time, isn't it? 100 times 25 bucks a week, that's, that's a fair slab of cash. You'd do some stuff with that, couldn't you? 2,500 bucks by my reckoning. That came in every week just to be available for what God was doing. A mm. hundred extra relational splot, slots. A hundred people saying, yeah, Lord, I've got a little bit of space for another friend, for someone that you're doing something special in their life. Multiply that across our church, five or six hundred people. Remember the story in John chapter six when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's a crowd of 5,000 men, we're told. We assume that there were women there. There may have been children as there. It was a big crowd. And Jesus, of course, says to his disciples, hey, let's feed them. And the disciples go, you're crazy, right? Like, you're crazy. Like, we don't have enough. Like, a year's wage would buy enough bread maybe to give everyone a mouthful. Like, what are you thinking about? And Jesus is like, well, you know, let's see if we can't come up with something. And they bring the little boy with his lunch. Five loaves, two fish. And we're not talking like whales. Fish. Five loaves, two fish. And the disciples say, how's this going to go very far? And what does Jesus do with five loaves and two fish? What can he do with your 15 minutes, $25, and a little bit of relational space? What little we can give to God in the hands of Jesus becomes a miraculous provision for thousands of people with stuff left over. Are you willing to take an audit of your life this week, to take a little bit of time at prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you have some margin in your life, where you have a little bit of financial margin, where you have a little bit of relational margin, where you have a little bit of time, and will you offer that small gift to Him and say, I want to be on purpose? I want to create and maintain this margin. I want to give this to you. Can you do something with it?
And Jesus will say, yes, I can. Yes, I can. And in his hands, our small gifts become extraordinary provision that changes lives. So you've got your challenge. Take some time this week in prayer or on the train or whenever and do a bit of an audit of your life. Consider your relationships, consider your finances, consider your time and and what you can scrape out of your bank account and out of your relationships and out of your schedule. Offer that to God. He, He may not call you on the money. He may not call you on the friendship. He may not call you on the time, but it's so important that we are on purpose people, available to take up the invitation that he extends to us. Amen? I'm going to pray. Joe's is going to join me in a sec. Uh, but will you join me as we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you invite us to join you in your plan to restore the world. Uh, we're not really sure why you've chosen us. Uh, what we have to offer is hardly impressive and doesn't seem on the surface of it to make much of a difference at all. But in your hands, what little we can offer you becomes life-changing provision for those around us. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, each one of us would be able to, to do a bit of an audit of our lives, to see where there's margin in those areas and in others, and to offer what we find to you, and that in your hands you'd do something amazing. We pray that we would be on purpose, as individuals and as a community of faith, deliberately making space in our lives to participate with what you're doing, because we believe that what you're doing is changing lives, ours and the whole world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Creating and maintaining margin in our lives so that we are available to participate with what God is inviting us to do is a practice that is central to following Jesus, no matter what community of faith you may be a part of. And when we offer that margin to God, He can do miraculous things with it. So let's be sure to do just that. If this has been helpful to you, would you consider leaving a rating and review? Doing so helps us reach more people. We'd love if you did. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook or visit our website at gamiabaptist.org.au. God bless.